Uh, hi, this is for the oh. podcast. Hi, <laughs> just really jumped on. Yes, you there. this is this is uh, Nick Westry. This is Jason Black, and um, we're a podcast for people who can't wait for their girls. <laughs> this is a podcast about <laughs> queer people and their divas. Um, who just don't know where their cowboys went. Hush, hush, hush. We're here to celebrate our ladies um, we, uh, and talk about how they inspired us. Yeah, this is just queer people who love 90s soundtrack queens and coffeehouse queens and Lilith Fair Amen. goddesses. Amen. And this is actually Nick and that's Jason. Oh, so. good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah, people no, get confused. They, they do. Yeah, they, they do. They get confused. And two, two white gay voices. <laughs> How can you tell them apart? In a sea of white gay voices. Yeah. Um, Who do we have? Uh, Bradley Scott Hamilton oh is here on the podcast. Hi. Do you go by Bradley or Brad? Uh, both. What about B? B. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's do like, it. Like, <laughs> um, what if I renamed you right now? How about that, Bradley? <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, who is your diva, though? Paula Cole. Wow. Paula Cole. Yay. We, you know, Nick and I were talking. Um, uh, we're we're going to do it. We're starting a new segment. Y'all, get ready. <laughs> get ready. Our only are. fan and listener is in. Well, diva, you should know. Oh, diva, you should know, yeah. And uh, kind We've of. we diva, you should know for a while, though. It's not now. Yeah, oh, Dar Williams was our first diva. You should know. I make him. I don't listen to him. Um, <laughs> you know, it, Dar and Paula just did the Melissa Etheridge cruise, which is basically like Lilith Fair at sea. What? Um, but Stop there's. It. I didn't send it to Stop you guys. It. What there, the fuck? What yeah, the fuck? There's a clip on YouTube of Dar and Paula and Sean Colvin singing. I would be Natural so Woman. So messy on Wait, that cruise. There is. There's I don't even like cruises. I don't like open I, water. I, I think it's an annual water. thing. I hate cruises. I hate cruise ships. <laughs> but I would that? do it to go on the Lilith Fair cruise. We were literally just on the Lilith I Fair. I love Wikipedia Melissa Etheridge. Like, what? What? Yeah, we were looking at all the opening acts. I was like, what a time to be alive. I don't think that I understood at that point how stellar that lineup was. I just don't even think. I don't think you realized what you were getting. I don't no. think you realized the history in the making. The, sorry, the history. Herstory. Jesus, uh, how dare me, you kill, kill you for, now for the voice podcast? That's my <laughs> other side podcast. It's it is history. Um, so wait, did you went to you went to Lilith Fair then? No, no I didn't. You didn't? I, so, I didn't either. I was just on Nick. I wish I was so cool. When I no. was, I so I grew up in a small town in Southern Ohio, like about 40 miles outside Cincinnati. And uh, when I went into junior high, it was like 1997. And I got bullied a lot. And I had... For being fabulous. For being fabulous. And I had a language, an English teacher who kind of 
swept me under her wing and was really nurturing and her classroom was a safe space. Um, but she was like a total earth goddess who wore these sundresses and smelled like patchouli oil. And mm. uh, she had been to the Lilith Fair tour when it came through Cincinnati that summer. So when we would have silent reading time in like our English class, she would play Paula Cole and Jewel and all of this music. And I started paying more attention to the music that she was playing than whatever we were supposed to be reading. And so I think that's where my... Is that where you first heard Paula? I think so. Because I don't know. She must have been on the radio at that point. But I don't know if I was like listening to like the top 40 at that age. But yeah, that was probably the first place that I heard her. So from there... Where where was your journey from like seventh grade silent reading time to getting that first jewel case of Oh my God. Well the I went out and I had some allowance money saved up and I bought this fire on cassette tape. Mm, Strong move. And threw away the art because the album art for that it's a little racy. Album is a little racy. She's naked on a swing, swinging over some flames, and I thought I might get in trouble if my parents found me with that. So I threw the art away and just were they had conservative? The or? My dad's actually well, he's not anymore, but he was a minister For at, a real? Church, at a small town church. Church yeah. boy over here. Yeah, and my mom was an elementary school teacher in the school district. Where oh I my gosh, that's like a so... classic little family right there. Yeah, my mom was also an elementary school teacher. Yeah, that's cool. I also had. I remember doing that with, I said this in Tori Amos, but Tori Amos is, you know, like CD cover of Boys for Pele? Yeah. Where she's... She's suckling the pig. The pig. Yeah. yeah. we. I had to hide that. I definitely yeah. like that was like out of the case, under the bed. Totally. But I kept it. Um. So you got that cassette. And you threw away the... Which had all the lyrics in it too. Yeah. It's, that's sad. So then did you just write down the, the lyrics. lyrics in your spiral notebook? I think I listened to it so much that it's, it's sort of become like... Internal, I like I've internalized it at this point. Like I could probably it? sing your entire the album back wow. to you right yeah. now. <laughs> is, it, is it still your favorite of her albums? Mm-hmm. I think so. I had a professor in college who theorized that the music that you listen to when you're coming of age, like mm-hmm. 12, 13, 14, is like what becomes your heart language. Like that's the music that's always going to sound right to you for the rest of your life. I ha- I mean so I'm, full, I'm I have a full nostalgia. I was just you know thinking about this episode. I have full nostalgia with that album too. Yeah. Um I think I got on remember on like Columbia or uh there used to be those like buy seven CDs for like oh, seven like Columbia cents. House Columbia or whatever House it was. Yeah. Yeah. Records and my mom was a big fan of that and so we would and I, that's how I got my uh Paula Cole and every summer we would go to um my grandparents in Texas and they were uh Southern Baptists and that album that summer I can still remember being we would go on long trips and I really had her like in my head to kind of protect me or you know I have such a cherished memory of that still and like and I've listened to her other albums but it's that album that totally still sounds exactly right yeah does the exact thing that I want and that's still the music that I enjoy today that like female singer songwriter piano driven pop rock Mm. whatever you Lilith Fair, the Lilith Fair girls. That that was such an epic time. On this fire, what was the, your younger self, what was your number one track? I don't think I realized it at the time, but I felt so um, trapped in that small town where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I think this is something that I, I, there's, I'm a member of a Paula Cole fan group on Facebook. And, uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I asked them, like, hey. You asked the group? I was like, so for those of you who identify as queer, like, how do you relate to Paula's music as a queer person? Amazing. Um, were you doing your homework because you knew you were coming here? I was doing my homework. Uh, but a, one of the guys said something that really resonated with how I felt, too. And he was talking a lot about the first track, Tiger, which sort of feels like she's shedding the snake skin of, like, her small town childhood existence and like exploding into this unbridled woman. I've left Bethlehem and I feel free. I've left the girl I was supposed to be. Someday I'll be born. 
And I think that I understood at that age that I needed to have that experience too. I didn't have the agency to like get out of my small town at that point, but I resonated with that feeling of like needing to self-express and, and get away. And the thing was, uh, you know, Paula Cole's kind of a DV Chanel because this was her big, big album, kind of her yeah. only real mainstream and it blew her up right yeah. like crazy she was everywhere she mm -hmm. had all y'all probably know some of her hits obviously um i don't want to wait mm -hmm. which was just that summer everywhere i don't um where did all the cowboys go everywhere, everywhere right everywhere where everywhere you go going. that was just being played she just like blew up kind of came out of nowhere uh for for my young ass, you know, I didn't know anything about her and Peter Gabriel back then. And, no, right? no, I didn't. Either. I didn't know that was something that I it. found out subsequently. Yeah, right. Because I I remember learning about Peter Gabriel in elementary school. They we learned about him because he was like a pop artist who was incorporating world music elements into his music. You know, an elementary um, school music teacher loves a bit of world music. Yeah. Yes. So I might have seen a clip of Secret World Live when I was in fourth or fifth grade mm. but certainly wouldn't have made the connection that that was paula that's until, ten, like, that 10 minute video of in your eyes so iconic i think that's the definite for me that's the definitive version of that song and mm. don't give up uh from secret world live mm -hmm. like i'm i love kate bush too but paula's live vocal on that i think is amazing don't give up you still have So that was she's like, so great. That's kind of like how where she got her her break, right? Was singing back up for Peter Gabriel. Yeah, she Kate had Bush recorded. Part. She had signed a deal with like this boutique independent record label and had recorded an album, but I don't think it had come out yet. And and that was Harbinger. Yes, right. And I think her producer on that album knew Peter, and he was on tour with Secret World and. Uh, Sinead O'Connor was his backup singer and she left the tour because I think they had a relationship she mm. and Peter and then they had a falling out and so she left the tour so he was looking for somebody to replace her and then somebody sent him Paula's album which wasn't out yet and was like listen to this girl and so I think he called her personally and left a message on her answering machine and said this is Peter come be a part of my tour and so she like flew to Germany and it's really joined special. the Secret World tour. And I think they filmed the video, the Secret World live video, like only a week or two after she joined the tour. You would not know. You wouldn't know. You would she not know. She seems no, so confident and poised. And like she's just in it. And there's yeah. choreo. I mean, it's not like she's just standing in the background singing. Mm -hmm. There's like, a, it's a full production. Yeah. That's crazy that, yeah. that she was that comfortable. And so I would not be no, that comfortable not at with all. all the moving parts that were going on and in, in a world stadium, whoa, Paula knocked it out of the park with that. She does have like a poise and a confidence to her. Mm -hmm. There's like this, e there's a, it was, you know, we were just talking about self-assuredness. She has a self-assuredness and that struck me. We were just watching that Rosie O'Donnell interview. Yeah. 
And even in that, like, she's she's sweet and, like, self-deprecating, but she's so kind of just in herself. Yeah. You know? And she was thrust into such, like Jason was saying with the in the, that summer, uber, uber stardom. Yeah. So quickly. She was trained as a, a jazz singer, right? Was that, yeah, yeah, she went to Berkeley um, and studied jazz. And I, I feel like you can hear that. On this fire, especially like in Hush 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 at the end when she that outro when it's just like the like the jazz Uh chords over and over. Which she sings with Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Don't you love that song? Yeah. Long white arms losing their strength and form. Sixty year men on twenty year old skin. Skeleton. Your eyes have lost their warmth. Look to your father for some support. Hush, 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 says your daddy's touch. Sleep, 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 says the hundredth sheep. Peace, 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 may you go. She wrote that song about a friend of hers named Stephen who had AIDS and died when he was like 20 years old. In San Francisco. Yeah. She was like, I just, and I live just imagine her in San Francisco. Yeah. Writing all of her songs in her little room. Yeah. No one could talk. I saw her, when I saw her here in New York once, she told a story of living in San Francisco and having basically no money. And she would go down to the convenience store below where she lived and would buy like a rice and bean burrito and eat half of it for lunch and eat the other half for dinner and would just write songs all day long. Wow. And how long was she in San Francisco? I think it was only a couple of years because she was here in New York. She lived for the majority of like the This Fire era and after she was in New York. Because she talked about going to, uh, you know, school and learning jazz and that she just didn't really like the jazz standards because they were kind of antiquated yeah. to her, right? Like, she was like, I don't really... It's like all of this, like, submissive woman bullshit that mm-hmm. she was like, I'm not jazzing with it. I'm not jazzing with it. Yeah. Good one, bitch. Um, and, and so she wanted... that. She was like, well, so I'm just going to write my own stuff. Right. Right? And then she sort of found a claim as a backup singer and she said, you know, like, the Peter Gabriel experience was incredible and she loved it, but she was like, I didn't want to be a backup singer for the rest of my life. I wanted to sing my own truth and then she just got hit with the fame wand yeah on uh this is fire yep and do you think did that song become such a hit because of dawson's creek or i think it was uh i think it was a it was charting on the radio before dawson's creek right and it was on the charts for something like it was over a year it was Mm -hmm. on the charts like it was on the radio it propelled by Dawson's Creek at some point in there. Right. Um, because Dawson's Creek was on the WB. And at yeah, that point, was. Paula was signed to Warner Brothers Records. Did you watch? So I think that there was like a... There was a fucked up thing with that because I know like Paula doesn't get any fucking money from that either. No. She? she just wrote a really, uh, like a year or two ago, she wrote a really heartbreaking piece for Huffington Post about... I read that. How she like... The inception of that song and that whole time and now how she's sort of locked into this really draconian contract with Warner Brothers where like back then the label would charge the artists for like every meal that they had or every car that they took to an interview and so now all of these costs are still hanging over her head and she can only pay them back at like a penny on the dollar and now that what the fuck with streaming now artists only get like pennies i don't even know like a fraction of a cent for a like a a single stream so there's no way that 
Like if I if I could manage Paula's career, I would go to battle for her and try to extricate her from that. That's why you're a battle angel, yeah. baby. Neither is no. she. That's what I wanted to say. Oh yes, yeah. He, Shit. <laughs> she's like, she's like, no shade. I've never seen an episode of it. Because I feel like when, so I, I try to see Paula every time she's in the city, which is usually a couple times a year, and I always drag my friends with me. And I feel like every time I tell someone I'm going to see Paula Cole, like their immediate response is, "Where have all the cowboys gone? Dawson's Creek." and hairy armpits. Like, those are their right. points of reference Iconic. for Paula. Did you see what Jay Leno did? Yeah, so he had a Paula Cole doll, and he would shine his shoes with her armpit hair. Nasty, uh, nasty man. Fucking Jay Leno's the worst. He also is not allowed to sponsor this podcast. I remember that was a thing in the 90s. I remember when I saw Tracy Chapman perform, I think mm. at, like, the Nelson Mandela concert or something, and I saw her armpit hair, and I just had no idea that that was even possible. I was like, <laughs> wow, wow, women with armpit hair. And then I saw Paula at the Grammys with her armpit hair and I was well, like I think you said earlier she was like thrust into the spotlight that summer and she had just come off of touring with Peter Gabriel all throughout Europe and mm-hmm. so I think that it was sort of innocent to some extent on her part she was like this is how everybody over in Europe is and I don't yeah. think she realized that it was going to be such a big... Well, she flipped off the cameras, too, on that she ground. Did. She was She was feeling a thing. Well, I think she was upset because she and Sean Colvin and Sarah McLaughlin were all nominated for multiple awards individually. But the Grammy producers decided to lump them all together and do a Lilith Fair medley rather than spotlight each of them individually. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were all pissed off about that. Rightfully, Rightfully sure. so. Yeah. And who presented Sean Colvin with her Grammy that year? Mm, not Sean Colvin. Yes. Who? Bette Midler. <gasps> what? Oh, because you know who presented Paula Cole with her Grammy? Oh, who? Aretha, Aretha Franklin. Franklin. Oh, yeah, that's right. Aretha Oh, so we have... That icon- was a star-filled night there. We have yeah. iconic episodes about Aretha and Bet. so you just go back and find them, and then you can rate, review, and subscribe, <laughs> and you can download all those episodes and share them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks, kids. Um, <laughs> question for you, while we're still on I Don't Want to Wait, what does that song mean to you, though? I Don't Want to Wait... God, I, like, it's probably one of my favorite songs of all time. It is a pop... <laughs> I think people associate it so strongly with Dawson's Creek, but if you listen to the verses, like you realize right away, she obviously didn't write it for Dawson's Creek. It's about her grandparents and her grandfather coming back from World War II and having PTSD. And my grandfather was in the military, and he didn't serve in the war, but he was sent to Europe right after World War II as part of like the Allied forces that occupied Europe, mm-hmm. peacekeeping forces, right after the war. Um, and so he was over there for a year or two, I think. And he and my grandmother weren't married at that point, but they were in a relationship. And so he wrote a bunch of letters to her and filled a couple of these really cool old photo albums with like black and white Polaroids that he took when he was Show over there. And
so that song reminds me of them. And uh, a couple years ago, my grandma gave me all of those old albums, so I have so them here. That's so sweet. How beautiful. Yeah. That opening to that song is so ch- so chilling and piercing. Mm-hmm. Every time you, uh, uh, you know, you hear that, like it just some shivers down my spine. Like, That's so my alarm clean. clock, too. On my is phone. it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> to open up your morning light, you gotta open exactly. up that morning light. I love that yeah. idea to open it's up. It's such a gentle wake up, but I always Same. have to remind myself to turn it off. Like, if I have someone sleeping over, if I'm like staying over at someone else's place, like mm. I gotta turn my alarm off because that's a little. Oh really? Do you have a, Do you have a little diva shame or diva embarrassment? Uh, I don't know. I just feel like people have a lot of feelings about that song. Mm. I don't know, but I I'm like a total '90s nostalgist and yes. Lilith Fair Queen, so I wear it a as a badge of honor. My favorite song is Carmen. Yeah, is that about her like kind of being a lezzy? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I always think. <laughs> it's I think Carmen is like her little lezzy song. Carmen. That's what I always said. Carmen is so beautiful. You she does Carmen, that a lot. You put Carmen on so many mixes, I, too, boo. <laughs> I will throw a Carmen down on a mix because it's so sweet and beautiful. Like, actually, like, in my fantasy, because I can't sing, but I would cover Carmen in my concerts. You she know, just does that. In, like, does in her concerts, she, she throws does Carmen. Carmen in there a lot. It's so yeah. beautiful. It's just so, so beautiful. And then, of course, um, from um, uh, City uh, or, uh City of, uh, City of Angels. Oh, feeling love. Now that is, we were just talking about like we don't really mm-hmm. put music on when we're making the nookie, not with each other, not with but each like, other. But when we're when we're having sex, and jo- I don't really put music on when I'm having sex, except I was looking at this Lilith Fair list of amazing performers, and I was like, oh man, I used to have sex a lot to Dido. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. But feeling love is like I would say like if someone if someone is like Did you play me a sexy song, I was like this. Is just as a sexy. I mean, obviously, but it's like essential. It's a great beat. Like, oh my god! Uh, yeah. You make me feel like a sticky pistol. being so like scandalized as a kid listening to that song the, by the uh, you make me feel like the yeah. Amazon's running between my thighs line and it's like Ooh. oh and she's like literally kind of about giving the or- like you know she's like kind of giving these like breath like orgasmic kind of breathing oh, yeah. in it and, and it's if like you, whoa like, when you there. see her live she really like riffs on that a lot like she'll like that song will be 10 minutes long when she does it live Damn. she takes so many she does do that too. She expands her songs yeah. and does these really crazy live versions. What's your favorite? Like, what was your most surprising or favorite like thing she? How she transformed a song in a live show? Um, one thing that she's really famous for doing at her live shows is beatboxing. She does this mm. human beatbox thing, um, and you can hear it on some of her albums. There's a track on Harbinger where she's doing it, but it's kind of like part of the mix. And if you aren't really paying attention, you wouldn't maybe notice that it's a human beatbox. Um, but she does it at her live shows a lot. And typically she'll end the night with a cover of Jolene by Dolly and uh, close it out with a Your beauty is beyond compare With flaming locks of auburn hair With ivory skin and eyes of emerald green Your smile's like a breath of spring Your voice is soft like a summer plain And I cannot compete with you, Jolene He talks about you in his sleep And there's nothing I can do to keep from crying But he calls your name, Jolene 
I'm gonna. I'm assuming it's a lot. How many times have we seen Miss Paula? Oh God! Um, <laughs> Can you count? I had never seen her live before moving to New York. Really? Which was ten years ago, um, and she's been really prolific in that time. Like she releases albums every couple years, probably. Um, and so she tours a lot, and she's based on the East Coast because I think she lives in Massachusetts. Um, yeah, because she teaches now too. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so I see her. I try to catch her every time she's here in the city, which is like once or twice a year. So once or twice a year for twenty years for ten years, so like twenty times. Probably. Wow, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah, that's cool. We've only yeah we haven't seen Beth that many times. But she doesn't tour like Paula, right? And Paula, I mean, she was. She had that huge, like, meteoric rise in the 90s. Um, but the big fall, too, right after that, right? Like yeah. She for some reason, they didn't, why didn't they embrace that next album? I think people were expecting, like, this fire, too. So, which, which like, that... always does. Like, they're, yeah. they're just going to make the same album over and over again and not be the artists that they right. actually are. Because um, the next album is Amen? Yes. Right. And that's still, she's still on Warner Brothers. Right. Um, and it wasn't a success. And then right after that album was released, she got pregnant and had a baby. And then her daughter had debilitating asthma and she couldn't really tour. She needed to stay off the road to take care of her daughter. But by that point, Dawson's Creek was a thing and so I think she was earning enough money from the royalties for having her song on Dawson's Creek that she was able to take the time off and take care of her daughter so she just kind of disappeared for like seven or eight years after that really yeah were you a fan by then were you like okay I'm pretty hardcore like I'm feeling really hardcore in love with this person like this is my Oh, yeah. And I thought we would never hear from her again at that point. I thought she was, like, done with music. So you were feeling kind of crushed? Yeah. But did then... You, did you love Amen? Uh, it, that album... Well, it took me by surprise, I think, the first time I heard it, because it was such a departure from this fire. And that was how I had discovered her. So I think I was expecting that sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's one of my favorites. Um, don't you love how things come back to you and you're totally. able to... It's like sometimes you have to take a minute to be able to understand a piece of work mm-hmm. and you have to get kind of with yourself. I just love, I love that. I do that all the time. I'm, I'm like, like I didn't get that album. With but. a lot of Dar Williams albums. I'm like, listen to it and I'm like, oh, I don't yeah. like this. And then I have to listen to it like four or five times until I like get what she's or up to. Or four or five years later. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, now yeah. it speaks to me. Dar's so wordy too. Like you have so to really wordy. pay attention to it. Yeah, you have to go on her little lyrical journey. Yeah. What's your biggest bop from Amen? I love the title track. Uh, there's a song called Pearl on that album, which I remember.
she was moving in more of like a socio-political direction with her lyrics. Mm. It's interesting now I can appreciate it like being in my mid 30s that like I realize that that's kind of like the journey of life. Like in your 20s you're sort of inward focused and figuring out your shit and discovering who you are and then as you get a little bit older you sort of become more outward focused and like how am I going to make positive change in the world and I think that's what she was trying to do with that album um, and it's disappointing that it wasn't a success for her but she's about to release a new album which she's calling informally kind of her amen part two that's also very like political and we did before we just focused. listened to her gay song she, song she for the gays. New, she has a new song for the gays. Yeah. That you just sent us the other day. Called, yeah. wait. It's called Hope is Everywhere. She Ten minutes long. She previewed just... it on After Ellen yesterday. And now the single is everywhere today. So it's on Spotify. After and Ellen? Yeah. What is After Ellen? Um, I, It's a website for lesbians. It's where the lesbians go after the Ellen show is on. Yeah. <laughs> so like, every day after they watch their Ellen, they Wait, go to the after Ellen. Really watch Ellen. Does it mean Do like they, after like Ellen's first show, after Ellen came out? I think so, because I think there's also a, a counterpart called After Elton. Well, I mean, I have my website called Before Ellen. In which I, <laughs> oh, I just don't like, like putting... Ellen and Elton as like the scent as like the no 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 the no, no crux of gay history. No, but that is big. That was huge when that she came huge. out on TV. That Definitely. was that was that was that was a systemic thing. So I think after Ellen, like everything started swinging open. But I don't think that that's true with Elton. What is it before Elton? <laughs> no, there's another website called After Elton. I is Elton was Elton's coming out the same thing? I feel no, like for the gay men, no, it was I don't. Not no, Elton I don't. I don't John, think anyone's like honey. once he came out as bisexual. Like I was <laughs> once like, he <laughs> once he married a woman and then came out as bisexual. Did we you all see really Rocket Man? It. I haven't seen it. No, no. don't worry about it. <laughs> Paul Cole's not in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> This is random me jumping around. Do you know what album I really like is Seven? Yeah. It's really weird. It's more jazzy, too, which I am really into. Seven reminds me of, like, a Carol King album. Like, you can tell that all of the instruments were in the same room, and it yeah. feels very homemade and mm-hmm. organic. It feels she, she crowdfunds her albums, right? Yeah. Do you, do you, she has. Does Mama donate? Uh, yeah. Yes. Of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta get your Paula bucks yeah. out there, huh? <laughs> I mean, it is crazy. She crowdfunded, but she was like crowdfunding before crowdfunding was a thing. Yeah. And what, like, how did she? So take us through, like, when she finally was like, fuck you, Warner Brothers, I'm gonna do my own, I'm gonna build this thing called a website. So she recorded Amen after this fire, and it was not a success. And then I think she also recorded an additional album with Warner Brothers that's never been released. And it's just like in the coffer somewhere. Oh, are you like, I cannot wait for that to leave yeah, the vault? There's, that be exciting? Like, I don't want to wait for that <laughs> album to be released. There's one track, I think it's called <laughs> Singing Out My Life. And it, I, it's on YouTube. Is but that's the only thing that I've heard from that album. Is it good? Is it good? Is it good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. she's belting her face off. Really? Yeah. She can wail. Huh? Yeah. Never knew my grandfather my mother's side. I sometimes think of like Florence as a like an air 
to the Paula Cole. You know, like Florence, when I first heard Florence and the Machine, I was like, oh, this is giving me like hmm, deep Paula Cole belting. Yeah. And you know, I just saw on Instagram that Haim was covering Where Have All the Cowboys Gone at some of their live shows. Ooh. Yeah, they love to do it. They, they were fucking up Cheryl Crow's, um, uh, uh, are you man enough to be my man? Like oh yeah, they're beautiful. It was a beautiful, strong cover. enough, strong enough. Yeah, strong enough. You should cover that song. I just you know, did. You know the lyrics so well. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tonight. <laughs> <laughs> who do you think? Uh, speaking of Charlotte Crow, who do you think on Lilith Fair was Paula Cole's best friend? Ooh, well, she knew Sarah before. Like, I kind of feel like Paula Cole was responsible for Lilith Fair. Tell um, us why. She, she wasn't in the first one though. She was only in the second one, right? She was in the first. Ooh, I love two. Little Fair conspiracy oh, really? theories. Yeah. <laughs> one of one of my websites that I go to is Little Fair conspiracy theories. Can we start a theories. podcast? It's, Fair it's called theories. After Lilith Fair. She's, she's responsible for the little fair house. She came off the road with Peter Gabriel, and she was touring, opening for um, Melissa Etheridge, and then she opened for Sarah McLaughlin on her Fumbling Towards Ecstasy tour. Sure. And Sarah got a lot of pushback on that tour from promoters and booking agents because they told her no one would pay to see a female double bill. And so wow. she said, fuck you. I'm going to put together an entire festival of all women. Uh, and then it became like the highest grossing festival of the summer of 97. I think the only thing that outgrossed it was like U2's tour or something. Ugh, who would like actually fucking pay money to go watch U2 gross? Were you? I wouldn't. Maybe I wouldn't. I, don't know. <laughs> I saw U2 in Chicago actually like years and years ago I, and it was a really good show. I was like, you did you saw us in Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> and that's literally, I just can't stop thinking about me and my conspiracy theories. Enough about you. Um, what do you yeah, think about me? me. Um, was Paula Cole like your first girl and then blossomed out to the jewels in the Sarah McLaughlin's or were you all, were you always just in the mix? Like I was into all You sound all like of a the... kind of big all fan about all of this. I am yeah. now. Yeah, but really I think Jewel and Paula Cole were my two that, those are the your, favorites. Yeah. Which is interesting because they're very different. Right. Both musically and I don't know. Like Paula I I listened to your Dar Williams episode and you said she was like the coffee house queen of Lilith Fair. And I think I'd describe Paula Cole as like, I don't know, like the wild woman of the woods of Lilith Fair, like the Ooh. artsy, like freaky chick. Uh, I don't know. She always had this vibe to her that was kind of intense and a little bit scary. Mm. Mm. Oh. She is kind of scary. 
<laughs> she she kind of looks like a witch sometimes to me. Like yeah. she's kind of conjuring. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and there is that thing of like taking, I always think of her taking the mantle from Kate Bush, like yes. literally. And Kate Bush is like the witchy mother of all weirdos, you know? What she do we call her? The witchy queen too. of the goths. She, well, she thanked Kate Bush in her acceptance speech at the Grammys. Whoa! She, that's so cool. Because she, Paula produced this fire by herself. Mm. Um, and she said that she was inspired to do that by Kate, who also produces all of her own albums. Full on goosebumps right now. It's yeah. so beautiful. Got them goosies. Yeah. That's actually a really cool story. Um, Paula went into the studio with Warner Brothers to record this fire and they like had a bunch of sessions and had essentially a completed album and she went back to them and was like, we need to throw all of this out. We need to fire the producer and I want to go back and re-record everything and produce it myself. Um, And they let her do it. And at that point, she basically had like a shoestring budget. Um, so she went into the studio with her drummer, Jay Bellarose, who's amazing, um, and subsequently has like worked on all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, but they, she and Jay like laid down that entire album in like a day and a half, just the two of them. And she was playing, there's a, a cool interview with the guy who engineered that album. And he was talking about how it was just Jay in the drum booth and then Paula on a big Bosendorfer grand piano just like Tori Amos plays Mm. and so they recorded it live with the two of them like she's playing and singing which I think is a tricky thing to like mic that with the Mm -hmm. piano and the voice Um, because normally you you lay over the vocal yeah Mm -hmm. Um, but that is very Carol Kang yeah so they recorded it in like a day and a half and then all of the other elements of it were added later but she said that the whole thing was finished in like two weeks I think that's so cool and then she was the first woman to be nominated for a Grammy for best producer for producing herself Mm. I just feel like you're not a fan of hers, <laughs> the way I thought. Actually, I want to talk about that, because Nick and I were talking that, you know, there's the big divas, and there's and there's like that kind of iconic fandom. Paula Cole's kind of, um, not an unsung, but, you know, a, a, a undersung. diva. Undersung. Undersung yeah. diva, right? And, 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 and so what is that like, to kind of have this, like, mm. fandom? It with, feels... With, is it, it like kind of culty? Like I feel like there's a, a cult little. around her. People who like love her so much, and like it's 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 like hers. And yeah, it's know, it feels theirs. like it's my own special little thing. Right, that's yeah. what I'm getting. Yeah, like you found her, and like and you've kind of collected. Right, being able to like you got the secret. Well, and she's still sort of part of like pop culture consciousness. Because if I ever tell somebody like, oh, I'm going to see Paula Cole, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember like. Dawson's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it does kind of feel like it's like my own little special thing, and I get to enjoy Pollicle and have her to myself. Like, the vibe I get is like the Bjork kind of vibe with the fans. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Where like the fans like. It's interesting. Like? So because she does so much like live recordings, like she, and she does so many different things with songs. Like you can mm-hmm. really be like th- passing around all of like her treats right. with each other. Um, seeing her in New York so many times, like there's definitely a community of people who are there there's for a crew. every show. Yeah. Um, and her audience is diverse. Um, a lot of queer people, a lot of lesbians, a lot of gay guys, but then a lot of, I don't know, um, people who look like smart, intelligent people who just really like, good fucking music <laughs> mm. um i don't know it's it's an interesting crowd at her shows um, but but also online right like you you're on her fan page yeah. and people like are what do they what do they say <laughs> like oh um actually i think paula is a member of the group herself get like out. kind of like low-key low-key like, like just hanging out that's so cool around. um yeah it's just like people sharing like old clips when they pop up on YouTube or like fangirling over and like the new stuff that she's releasing and sort of she like, is pretty prolific. Nick and I were just like looking at her ballads album. And we we're like, whoa, there are so many songs on here. I love yeah. the ballads album. It's great. I got it like got it. I like downloaded it on Spotify for offline mode right when it came out. I should buy it to get. You should get the money. vinyl. Like There's that's a one of the great vinyls. Yeah, you see on vinyl. That's yeah. so cool. 
I love that. I love um, uh, the the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll. Mm, yeah. I really love that song, and I put it on a mix for Jason, like right after that album came out. It's sometimes like a downer on a mix, but I still really like yeah. it. William Sansing killed poor Hattie Carroll with the cane that he twirled round his diamond ring finger at a Baltimore hotel society gathering, and the cops they were called him. And his weapon took from him As they rode him in custody Down to the station And booked Williams and Zinger For first-degree murder But you philosophize disgrace And criticize all fear I like her little like Eric Satie motif that she weaves into that arrangement. That too. is very Eric Satie. Wait, yeah. have you met Paula? I have. <gasps> Tell us everything. What happened? Uh, Did you puke like I would do if I met <laughs> Bette Midler? <laughs> she is pretty cool about coming out and like saying hi to people after her shows. Um, she does that a lot, and she's she, so soft-spoken too, right? She is. Yeah. Um, the first time I met her was at City Winery here in New York, and she she came out and I told her that story about the teacher that I had in junior high who sort of opened me up to this whole world of female singer-songwriters, and she was so sweet and was so touched by that story. And I posted something about it on Facebook the next day and tagged her in it, and she commented wow, and said... You are beautiful and special, and it was an honor to meet you. Oh, I'm going to oh cry. That is so sweet. How sweet. Did that make yeah. you cry? Were you just like... Of course. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh. I think I had to take the day off work. Oh, like, oh my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> yes, that's so sweet. It reminds me of Tori Amos. Yeah. Tori does it, spends a lot of time with her fans yeah. and like talking to them and like, yeah. So what's this new? So this wait. Oh, this new album is going to be Amen Part Two. Yes, and it's coming out. Uh, I think September. Are yeah. you excited? I'm very excited. Yeah, she's given the gifts, right? She's, she's posted some clips. Uh, she's got the all the tracks on her website, and you can listen to little snippets of each of the songs, and it sounds incredible. Really? Yeah. And she's going to go on tour, I guess, with it? Yeah, or? she's going to be here in New York in October, I Do you think. already have your tickets? Oh, wow. Yeah. You do? You just got a question. Is the song The Book of Dorothy about the Wizard of Oz or about gay people? It's about her grandmother. Oh, wow. <laughs> Who was gay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's about her grandmother who, like, became a vegetarian when she was in her 80s and was, like, sort of turned into this old woke lady and... Uh, was like a humanist and just a really cool I think she said that a lot of this new album is inspired by women in her family too and like maybe women who weren't able to fully realize their potential in their own lifetimes and I think Carl Jung says that like we're all motivated by the unfulfilled dreams of our parents or grandparents and so Mm. she says she said that a lot in interviews that that's kind of like one of her main motivations is to to uh, do that in honor of her parents. And do your parents know about your Paula Cole love? They do. They Actually, do? my mo- <laughs> my mom, uh, so my parents are just moving to a new house and they've been cleaning out a bunch of old stuff. And my mom found a bunch of my old t-shirts and decided to sew them into pillows and send them oh, to me. Sweetheart. So she actually made me a Paula Cole pillow oh, out of an upcycling, old Upcycling, kids. Hot take. It's called upcycling. Yes, yeah, seriously. Everyone's upcycling. Quit shopping at H&M and figure out where you can recycle your old clothes. Um, in your town or city that you live in, please. No, you can upcycle, baby. You can upcycle Make or you can pillow. recycle. Make yeah. it a blanket. Mm-hmm. Make it a towel. I fucking love hippies. <laughs> I fucking love hippies and all those hippies who are on Lilith Fair. And also, I mean, the reason I brought up hippies and like loving them, I just think of what a, f- what a fucking amazing, how she's focused on art 
in the face of this like terrible commerce and capitalism that we're all in, you know, that she had this height, like, cause we keep talking about like the height and the fall, but that's really only the height and the fall in terms of like how much money she was making right. or how many hits or how much popularity. Well, even Not this fire in too. The scope of her music. Right. Cause like this fire that if you listen to the album, like everybody only knows the two singles, mm-hmm. but the whole album taken as a whole is really artistic and weird and musically complicated and she's kind of from the old school where she makes albums yeah right yeah like the album is i know she cares so consistent she cares a lot about the sequencing of the tracks uh-huh. and making sure that it flows like as a cohesive piece there's a track from seven called new york city and it's about her decision to leave new york city which she loved and lived here for i think 12 years and move back to Massachusetts right. because she knew that like that was the choice that she needed to make to you know raise her daughter with the support of her parents and family and did you say you wouldn't call it a bop because it's sad it's sad you left me standing there at the top of the stoop of a federal brownstone you left me standing there with my heart in my hands at Hudson and Barrow life didn't let me It's such a it's such an emotional thing. I remember when you left New York City. It's an emotional thing when people do decide because it's you know. For I made you a whole break. I made you a whole album. Uh huh. Made you a whole album of our friend like like you know. Like a mix. A yeah. Mix, yeah. You know that song "Talk to Me" of Mendocino. Yeah. I put, that was like the last track I put on there. Oh, I was so upset. There was there was a point about a year ago where I was convinced that I was ready to leave the city too, and I was so sad all the time, and. Um, yeah, it, it's like a breakup. Well, it is. And I always say this, like, leaving New York, it was like leaving a um, an abusive relationship where it just kept kicking you and kicking you. And when you when you left, it just, like, didn't even know you existed. Right. Like, it's just oh, a yeah. really yeah. amazing, amazing... New York doesn't need you, con- you to exist. And you're constantly trying to prove to, you that, prove to New York that you do exist. Like, I exist, I exist. Like, I'm making it, I'm making it. And then you leave and it's just like, blip. It keeps yeah. going. It keeps existing without you. It's just like kind of amazing thing. Um, okay, if you, um, I mean, we know she has a new uh, album coming out, but if you could design the next kind of like step for Paula, what would you love to like see her well, do? I'm such like a 90s pop culture nostalgist in general. Like I think the the 20th anniversary of Lilith Fair was a year or two ago and she contributed to all these oral histories and interviews and things which were really fun to read and then she did the Melissa Etheridge cruise where she's with like <laughs> Dar Williams and I'm Sean Colvin and so it's like I just want more of that like I want all of my girls together oh my gosh we should we should like aim to go on the next Melissa Etheridge cruise and set I think up like tickets a live are already cruise. on sale they've announced the cruise but they haven't announced the lineup yet <sighs> Should we get tickets and try to do a live I just want to be like, hey, can't hang out. I'm on the Melissa Etheridge <laughs> cruise. <laughs> I just want to say that once in my life. I mean, I would endure being on a cruise and the rest of Salmonella and know. murder and all the things that I imagine happened to me on a cruise. I would cruise. have to like, find outfits that would go with the life jacket that I wore the whole time, like even in bed. So that would be my, maybe my only struggle. I mean, the, I mean, I would say we should do a voicemail, but you've already told Paula think, your truth. Yeah, and I, I, I feel like you're telling your truth right now to me. Like, I have a, maybe she'll listen to it. 
I don't know. Oh my gosh, she loves the internet. Oh my, she's on the Facebook group. Maybe we'll post it on the Facebook group. Did you group. see? Um, oh my gosh, yes, post it in the Facebook group. Will I will. You? Oh my gosh, if Paula Cole listens to this episode, thank you so much, Paula Cole. We admire the hell out of you. Yeah, and thank you for keep keep giving us the stuff. Like, you know, like that. That's what a what a, what a gift that you get. It that and your artistry is so big and enormous. Um, and so expansive and you're always challenging yourself to do something different that's, that's the really one thing about. I would say mm. like yeah she's been so prolific all of her albums are different like she's so musically intelligent and versed in different genres of music mm. um, that I think there's a lot of material for people to discover um, who only know like the two hit songs yeah. like there's so much more to her than that yeah and if maybe if this album isn't quite your groove there's a, there's so many more that you can yeah, yeah she, find. And... She genre shifts, or she like explores different feelings and different mediums so um, enthusiastically. Like take a little dive. I mean, all these albums are on Spotify, but also like buy an album, buy a track, donate to her Kickstarter. Buy it on vinyl. She's yeah. doing. She's printing on yes. vinyl. Huh? Yeah, That's love cool. buying shit on vinyl. Yeah, it's so, so good because cool. we need to give artists like this who like buck the system we all say we like to buck the system well then support artists who do that like give her give paula cole your dollars just venmo her right now she's you actually can do that she just revamped her website (laughs) for um uh today i think she rolled out a brand new website because of this new single and forthcoming album and at the bottom of it there's a little paypal thing that says donate to the artist and you can literally just send paula cole some money i mean right to the people like this is how like we can be creative together and keep creating. Right. I don't, I have, don't have to be funded by like a big corporation. Yeah, all it's your like, money doesn't have to go to, to Warner do. Brothers. It could just go to me. Yeah. Um, before we go, do you want to talk about us anymore? <laughs> is there anything else you want to say about us? Any thoughts or... about it now that you get to see us and you can see how attractive <laughs> we are? That's new probably for you. That was kind you know, of like just... a little shocking. Because I know that our voices are very attractive. I was a little taken aback, so, actually. Absolutely. You abso- I am too. Like, you, can't, <laughs> you should see me in a mirror. It takes me forever to get away from it. Um, I want to thank you for having me. Oh, Thank yes. you for coming this on. This is so good. Right? And no everyone should... Subscribe and download. <laughs> yes. Doing the work for us. Yes. Doing the work he did for homework. Us. He's doing work for us. <laughs> download. You could also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Um, you could um, Venmo us or Paula Cole. Yeah. She uses PayPal. Yeah. Um, okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Bye. Bye. be the same.